you're age 12 and under, you can head back to Camp Point Way. I know they've got a lesson back there for you, and I noticed that PJ even had a few props back there for some of you back there, so. She was emptying out my boat this morning, so I don't know. It's interesting, but you have to check with her to see what that is, so. I don't know why my wife worries about me and tree cutting. I've been doing it for a long time, but uh, eventually they all get down on the ground and uh, even get to pick up some sticks this week as there was a lot of debris around. So. But, well, it's kind of a sad day in some ways, but it's also a good day. It's good to be here with you this morning, but it's sad and we're at the end of our series. Um, Ruth is a short four chapters, and so it's been a four-week series on the book of Ruth, and we're, we're winding that down, and so uh, we're coming to the end of chapter four today, and Lord willing, I should be able to get through all of chapter four, and you know, we should be out by one or two o'clock this afternoon and be fine with that. Just kidding. You know that. You know me better than that. We'll, uh, we'll get out, but the book of Ruth. Hopefully it's been um, something that you've maybe known before, you've gone through it, but maybe you've picked up some things along the way or you, you never looked at it in a different way. And that's the beauty of God's Word is as we study it and we read, quite often God uses it depending on where we are in life. Uh, it's active and alive and it um, speaks to us in different stages. And I know I've enjoyed going back through it and studying it again and uh, it's been a good refresher for me in many ways. And so hopefully that has been for you as well. Um, I know we have a couple of visitors here this morning. Just so you know, when I ask this question, I'll wait for an answer. I don't ask rhetorical questions. I'm not very good at that. So if I ask and you respond, you're free to do that. You're free to laugh. You're free to enjoy uh, your time here this morning. Because again, we're learning this together. We're walking through this journey, life through this window of time together. And so we're going to Look this morning at Ruth, but who's the main character in the book of Ruth? Uh, not Ruth, no, not Ruth. God, I heard somebody, somebody knew, knew the right answer, right? God is always the, 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 the story, right? God is the one that's always faithful. He's the one that's the important part uh, throughout of all the Bible, right? God is the, the central figure, and so everything points to him. Now, yes, Ruth is part of it, and that book is named after Ruth. And what's the other book in the Bible that's named after a woman? Esther, Esther right? right? There's, no, there's no book of Naomi, no book of Sarah, no book of Mary. There's only Ruth and Esther. And again, that's unique in many ways. Ruth is even more unique because Ruth is not a Jew, right? Ruth is a Moabite. I won't ask you that one. I, I figured I'd, I'd give you a, a little bit of a break on that one. We also know that the book of Ruth was written in a time when things were kind of up and down, right, in, in the Jewish history, right? It's a time of trouble, uh, kind of reciprocal. It was in the judge, time of the judges, right? They would, Israelite would do well, and then all of a sudden they would not do so well. And then um, God would have to discipline them, they would come back. But there was a lot of ups and downs at that time. And there was a famine in chapter 1. In fact, uh, not that you have to remember the titles, but the title of chapter 1 was No Hope. Right? There was no hope. What a great message, huh? What an uplifting message. You come and say, Charlie, you know, no hope today. That was the message. But, but why was there no hope? It's not rhetorical. Huh? 
There we go. Thanks, Bryce. Good job. All right. Keep Bryce in prayer. He needs it. No, good job. No. Right? Naomi, right? Naomi, they moved to, to Moab. They left Israel. They moved to Moab. And right off the bat, she loses her husband. And then a little short time later, she loses two of her sons. And so that's destitute. That's not much hope. There's not much left for her. She has two daughter-in-laws, but again, they're from the tribe of Moab, and so she encourages them to stay. Remember the story, right? Next week, we talked about a little bit about the, chapter 2, that there was a little bit of hope or some temporary hope, right? Did anyone her daughter-in-laws go with her? No. Just one. We know Ruth did. Anyone know what the name of the other daughter-in-law was? Oprah, right? I've said Oprah. I've, you know, I, I pronounce it wrong. Steve just did the same thing. And it, hey, it's easy to do, isn't it? That's right. Those are not not common names. I don't see many Oprahs running around, right? That's not a not something that we see normally. But but Ruth stayed. And what happened to Ruth? What just happened while she was back in Israel? She ended up in somebody's field, right? Boaz, right? The other character. So we have Ruth. Really, is a main character. We have Naomi as a main character, and we have Boaz as main characters, right? Now, was Boaz a good guy, bad guy, poor? And why is he important? Why is he important to this story? Kings, wow, nice job. Kingsman Redeemer. And we're going to focus really a lot on that redeeming part this week, right? That Redeemer now kind of comes to full circle in chapter 4. And again, that's where the hope is going to be secured. And that's this morning's title is Hope is Secured, right? It's going to be secured now for the rest of not only Naomi's life, but Ruth's life, and the line and genealogy becomes really important from this point on. Good job. You're all up to date. We're all caught up. Now let's see what we can find in chapter 4. You guys did a really good job. Thank you. I need the help. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat down there just as the guardian redeemer he had mentioned came along. Boaz said, come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. All right, if you remember right, Ruth got introduced to, to Boaz, and Boaz has made a promise that he would find this redeemer, right? There was someone that was ahead of him, right? It was customary that someone in the line, someone in the family would take over the responsibility, and they would redeem the life, re redeem the line, and continue on, right? It would offer protection, it would offer housing, food, all those things that Ruth would need, and also Naomi as well, as she's part of that family. But Boaz wasn't the first choice, right? Again, following the law, which they were, and, and there was someone else in between. Interestingly enough, we don't even get his name. His name's not even mentioned. And it's interesting because, again, we, a lot of times we get, get names, and names are important, it helps us tie in things, but he's not mentioned in the line. All we know is that he's in the line, same line that Boaz is, so he's in the line of Judah, right, which is a good tribe, uh, one of the 12 tribes, an important tribe, but he's not even mentioned. 
Boaz also goes and he, he finds him, he has him sit down. Again, they're going to have a conversation. They're going to work out a deal here. Again, this is a legal transaction. It's a business deal. It's part of um, making this public. Uh, and the fact that he went to the town gate, it's a very open place. But it's also a place where everybody would be coming and going, but there would probably be a crowd that would gather. The gates were an important part to a city, right? You had these walls going around that would encompass, but the gates were, it was kind of everything get funneled in, but it's also where all the information took place. It's where everyone that wanted to be in the know was in the know, right? They didn't have social media. They didn't have emails. They didn't have any of that stuff, but they had word of mouth. And so if you're at the gate, that's where you would get your information. People would come in, and they would travel, they would tell you the story, you'd get news from afar. Everything happened there. Some say it was gossip center in some ways. But again, it was very public. It was a place of where everyone sat, and especially, we'll see here, the elders were gathered to sit there. Verse 2, it says, Boaz took ten of the elders of the town and said, sit here, and they did so, right? The number 10, there's nothing I looked through and, and studied. There's nothing important about the 10 other than the fact that there was a lot of them together. 10 of them, it would be undisputable, right? If they, they do this transaction and things go, go right, there's, there's going to be plenty of witnesses. And again, elders here are, are generally speaking of older men um, that were well-known, had a good reputation, could be a witness uh, if, if things go south or things don't happen the way they're supposed to, they would be in charge of making sure that it did happen. But 10 was more than enough. It was plenty. It was an abundance of elders. So, um, and he has them all sit down. It's a, it's a gathering of the meeting here. This is an important transaction. Um, and Boaz is doing the right thing here. He's trying to get things in the right order. And so he talks to them and he says to the guardian redeemer, the unknown redeemer here, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Emelech. I thought I should bring this matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will, but if you will, yeah, but if you will not, tell me, so I will know, for no one has the right to do it except for you, and I am next in line. Like I said, we have this unknown redeemer, and evidently up until this point, we didn't even know it, but Naomi has a piece of land. And again, the, the land would have come down through her, through her husband. And again, in that day, each tribe had their own pieces of land. And according to law, they could only sell it to someone that was in the same family and only into the same tribe. So they were very limited. It's not like today where there's an open market where you could buy property fairly easy and you're not restricted. There, obviously, according to God, it set up these rules that they could only buy it within the tribe. And so it's limited. And we can only imagine that Naomi's selling it at this point is because she knows the harvest is over, the food's probably starting to get low. This is a way for her to provide. If, if Boaz doesn't come through or she, they don't get redeemed, the land has to be put up in order for them to survive. It was a big deal. It wasn't as, as simple as, as we sell and buy property today. It had meaning to it. It was part of their identity. It was a big thing for them to, to give up their land and their property. Um, again, it was kept in the family for years and years. 
kind of reminds me of those old farm families. If you've ever been in the farming areas, um, they have those back east too, but um, they, generation after generation. Quite often the kids will build on the same property and they just hand the farm down, or even if they don't go into farming, they still keep the land and they go over and over again uh, for many, many years and generations. So he gives, Boaz gives his man, who we don't know, the opportunity, right? Hey, there's some land that's coming up for sale in the family here, and you're in the tribe, you're the next in line. You get to say yes or no if you want the piece of property. Interestingly, Boaz only presents that part of it at the beginning. I say it's, it's interesting because, again, there's much more to that land. There's some more strings attached if you will, but he gives up the land first. He kind of puts that out there as, here's the, the first part of this deal. And you see his response here in verse 4, and I left that off on purpose. It says, I will redeem, and he said, right? This gentleman obviously has some business sense. Hey, the land's coming up for sale. I'd like it. I mean, there was always that chance to expand your territory. Um, we assume that it had some worth, some value to it. But that was part of your sign of wealth. The more land you owned or the more that you could have. We also know that Boaz had a lot of fields. He had, obviously, and he had people that worked for him. So Boaz had means. But whoever this other gentleman is was in the same boat. He had the means to at least buy the land. And so he even uses the term, I will redeem it. Right? I will take possession. I will buy this land from her. Verse 5. The next part of the deal. And then Boaz says, On the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the, de of the dead with his property. Whoops, there's a little bit more to this, right? Now we're not just talking about land. We're talking about, yeah, not just Naomi you got to take care of, but now you got to take care of Ruth as well. you got to take care of this Moabite. Oh, man, that's a lot more responsibility. That's going to cost a lot more. Property is one thing, taking on these two. And basically, you're taking them on as family. So now you have to provide for them. You also, they become part of the inheritance. They become part of your family unit. There's a lot more involved now. And again, he said he would at first, right? He says, oh, I'll take the land. But, verse 6, change in plans. At this, the garden redeemer said, then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. All of a sudden, he backs out of the deal, basically. He says, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. That's more than I was bargaining for, you know? If you've ever bought something or uh, a piece of a home or even a piece of land, and again, if it has attachments to it, all of a sudden, you know, you have to rethink it sometimes. Sometimes you still go ahead with it. Sometimes you say, nah, that's more than I want to do. I think back when we were buying a piece of property back in Pittsfield, New Hampshire, there was a lot of strings attached to it in many ways because it abutted conservation land. And the town wanted part of our land in the front to straighten out a road. And anyways, there was a lot of things that we had to give up and kind of go back and forth on just to get a piece of property to build a house on. And it took more months than it was supposed to. 
In fact, there's another whole story there. I got to live with my mother-in-law eight months instead of three months, and um, with three kids and a small house, and, uh, and I love my mother-in-law, but the house got small pretty quick uh, while we were in Rhode Island and trying to move to New Hampshire. But it had strings attached, and so it made it tough at times, and there was more than once that PJ and I said, is this really where we want to go? Do we really want to have all this you know, if they're going to be that hard on us, do they, is this just going to be an uphill battle? Is it even worth it? Wait a minute, so. Um, so this man's no different. He says, wait a minute, this is too much. This is more than I bargained for. He says, in fact, I'm, I'm endangering my own family here. Now, we don't know. It could have been for legitimate reasons, or it could have been the fact that he wasn't as honorable. And most scholars believe that's probably because he's not that honorable, because his name's not mentioned, right? Certainly protecting your own interests, your own family, that's, those are all godly characters. Certainly that's not wrong, but the fact that he's not mentioned, the fact that he gives up his obligation to continue the line and to take care of Naomi and Ruth puts it into question, his character at best. But either way, he's not the main character here, is it? And he does recognize that Boaz is the rightful heir then. He's the next one in line. So verse 7, interesting custom here. It says, Now in earlier times in Israel, for redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandals and gave it to the other. This was a, a method of legalizing transaction in Israel. Can you imagine, you know, giving up your shoes? I mean, I got size 12. I don't know what that would get me. Maybe that would get me a little bit more. Or, you know, but I don't want to put on someone else's shoes. That's, that's, that's not always best. You might get the wrong size or no. Again, customs, right? Things are different, right? Used to be handshakes, right? In, in some cultures, that would be, be considered weird or strange, right? If you do a handshake agreement, right? Now we have these big legal contracts and signings and finances that are tied with it and a lot more is involved. But again, as the custom was, a pair of sandals. I did some research. I didn't go too, too far into it because it kind of got off into the bushes. But um, the sandal was, you know, to walk on the land, supposedly, and that's why they would exchange the property. It meant that you could stand on that ground now because you're with the feet that was originally the property. Maybe, maybe not. Like I said, if you want to study it a little bit more, go ahead. I, I only, like I said, I got into the bushes and I said, ah, that's not that important. But it is important that they're transferring the land and the people that come with it. So verse 8 says, So the garden redeemer said to Boaz, Buy yourself, and he removed his sandals. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, Today you are my witnesses that I have brought bought from Naomi all the property of Amalek, Kilion, and Melion. I have also required Ruth the Moabite, Melion's widow, as my wife in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. So his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today you are my witnesses. Right? Boaz goes way out here, and he goes way beyond even the expectation Again, it's a lot. It's a lot to buy the property. It's a lot to take on Naomi, Ruth. But he's saying, hey, I'm actually going to take Ruth as my wife in order to 
continue the line, the name, right? Some of our family names, if you're into genealogy at all and you look at the names, right, it's, there's some tie, tie back to, and quite often we go back and, of course, as Americans, we can go back and a lot of times they either jump across the border or they go across the sea if we go back far enough, right? Some of our heritage goes all the way back to England or Canada and, and different routes or, or beyond that even, right? And it's important to, to know where those lines are. Um, if you're from the, the, thir- the original 13 colonies, it's a big deal back east. And if you, if you can tie somehow that you were on the Mayflower, it's a huge deal in Massachusetts. And they have societies back there. And I, not that there's anything that I had to do with, but I'm actually part of one of those societies and again, it's not a hidden group, it's a public, but part of the founders, one of my relatives on my mother's side was close, not on the Mayflower, but was close during that time. And so they have a society and they send you things every once in a while. And it's interesting, but not all that important. But to the Israelites, it's very important. And what tribe you're from and the heritage, and for your line to continue, your name to continue on, was very important. It means something. And we'll see what the, the, the significance of this going forward is going to be. There's someone that's coming down the line that's really important. Someone that we worship and praise even this morning. So again, Boaz does this in front of everyone. He lets him know his intentions, right? And he has his witnesses. I'm taking this on. I'm taking Ruth as well. In verse 11, the elders in response said, all that the people at the gate said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. Interesting that they mentioned these two, right? Rachel and Leah. Again, if you haven't studied the Old Testament while, well, I would encourage you to go back and look at this as well. But again, these are Jacob's two wives, and these are the, the wives that came again from non-Israelites, right? He went outside of his tribe to get them, yet they mentioned them in the same light as Ruth. It's a, it's a great thing and a kind of a mystery in many ways, but God quite often uses people that we wouldn't think he would use. He uses people that don't always fit the mold. He uses unusual folks. And in that culture and in that society, to use women outside of the Jews was incredibly rare and unusual. And if you know the story, Rachel and Leah and Ruth all are going to be blessed and are all part of that line. They're part of that, that heritage that runs through not only King David, but eventually Jesus. So it's significant in many ways. And again, these elders are proclaiming this way before it's happened, right? They're not even married yet officially. It would take another year before they officially become married, Ruth and Boaz. But they're already, these elders already see that there's going to be great things here. And they're proclaiming that blessing on them already. And the fact that they even say the Lord, right, they're recognizing that God is in this, and they're pouring that blessing on them. Continuing on with the verse, it says, May you have standing in Ephra and be famous in Bethlehem. 
through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman. May your family be like that of Perez, who Tamar bore to Judah. Again, the Ephra is uh, another word for fruitful, right? To, he's just asking that blessing. Hey, not only are you going to be married, but may you have offspring. May you continue on. May your line be blessed. You can see the, the tie here back to the old continually. I love that. It's a, it's a good thing that heritage is, is important in that way that you can tie in. And sometimes we need that mooring to go back and look back a little bit and say, you know what? God's been faithful through all these years and he's going to continue to be faithful into the future. I don't know about you, but I need that reminder, right? Sometimes when I'm in the midst of a storm or trouble, I forget, right? And God's been faithful. And why I question he's going to be faithful in the future is my foolishness. But again, we find ourselves in that spot from time to time. And so to be reminded of that is not a bad thing. Verse 13. The exciting part of this story, although it's been exciting all the way up through, but 13's the real excitement here, right? It says, so Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and when he had made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. Wow. Again, remember where they started, and then we've got to this point, right? This is the, the pinnacle. This is the blessing of God here, and you can see his hand all over this, right? A, that Ruth was even noticed. A, that she was in the right field, and, and that she gets redeemed in part of the line. She gets married to a man who has means and willing to take her as his own, as part of the family, and include her in the family. She gets pregnant, and she has a son. And again, that son becomes very important because he's the one that's going to carry the name on, right? It's a take on. You women change your names, uh, and, and sometimes, you know, it's tough to take on those names of our husbands, I'm sure, right? It, it's not easy. PJ went from O'Gary to Bolstridge. I mean, what a mouthful. She had to take that on. Right? Some of you are laughing because you, you're maiden names, right? But it's no different than that, right? It, it goes, the line goes on from there. It doesn't get carried through the women. It gets carried through next generation through the sons. And so having sons are, are vitally important. They're important because the name carries on, but they're also the next generation. They're the inheritance. That's where it's going to, the line continues. And as I get older, it's, it's great then to know that the, the kids and now grandkids, I love my grandkids, by the way, grandkids are that blessing, right? <clears throat> that blessing that you see as they go forward to the next generation and the one beyond it. And so this is important, and you can see God's hand in it. That's why I say this verse is amazing. And now back into the scene, someone else comes, someone that's kind of been in the backdrop here. The woman said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a garden redeemer. May he become famous throughout all Israel. Remember Naomi? right? She's all part of this story too, right? She's, she's, she's like a main character in this, and all of a sudden her, her name comes back. And it's interesting here, the, the ladies, right? The ladies recognize, and they speak to her and say, hey, God has not left you. What was the, the characteristic of Naomi, right? What was her thing that we, we remembered about her, right? Her name, she wanted to change her name because she was very, very bitter, Right? 
She was in deep grief. She had lost two sons and a husband. In fact, she said, right, if I remember right, back in chapter 1, she says, I have no hope, right? I'm done. I might as well die, right? There's no inheritance. God can't do this, right? Remember she said those words, God can't do this? I'm too old to have kids. Sometimes when we tell God that we can't do something or we don't think he can do it, it, God must just laugh and say, oh, you don't know, right? You don't know what you're talking about. And so here's one of those instances. And again, these women recognize that Naomi now is blessed, right? Verse 15, he will renew your life and sustain you in your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth, right? You're going to be a grandmother, right? Your line's going to continue. The name goes on. You're going to be provided for. You now have security. You can now rest easy, right? You can only imagine the, the change in, in Naomi's countenance, right? Again, she's been watching this story, and she's been helping a little bit, right? She pushed Ruth a little bit here and there, and she's been instructing, but she could not have imagined that it was going to turn out this way. And now it's coming true before her very eyes. In verse 16, it says, Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. Again, all the women there said, Naomi has a son. And they named him Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Right? Naomi finally has that joy. And again, she, it says here that she cared for him. It's a little bit more than just that, that grandmother relationship, but she actually probably was in charge of most of the day-to-day. Again, they, they would quite often live in the same household. Not that Ruth you know, ran off and, and didn't take care of her child. That's not it at all. It's, it's more she was more in direct care of it. She had a vested interest in this child. She was a very active grandmother, I'm sure. And interestingly, the, the women even recognized uh, Ruth, right? They recognized her faithfulness to Naomi and also the faithfulness to God. They recognize, they see that in her. In fact, they said she's even better than seven sons, right? Remember, Naomi had two sons and they're no longer there. She had two daughter-in-laws and only one is there. But yet, God's been there from the beginning. As in the, <clears throat> in the Bible, it's important, uh, the names and the genealogy, and we see that here at the end. And again, they named the, the child Obed, and his father of Jesse, the father of David. And again, this is going, David is a key figure, especially for the Jews. And again, this is yet to come. This is going now forward. So whoever wrote this, obviously was looking back when they wrote that, or they added this in. But the genealogy here from this point on is David, the coming king. David was the, the standard for kings here on earth until Jesus arrives. Remember, if you know the, the history, David is just in that same line that Jesus is. We read about that in Matthew, right, when we look back at the genealogy. So the next couple of verses here are just lining that up. But here's the family line, right, the line of Perez. 
Perez was the father of Heron, Hezron, the father of Ram, Ram the father of Amadad, Amadad the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Solomon, Solomon the father of Boaz, Boaz the father of Obed, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David. So it's quite the line going through. And again, these weren't all perfect dads. We, we know from the story, and again, if I was going to do a, a Father's Day message, there's probably not one of these I would want to pick here as the, the gold standard for fathers, right? They all had their issues. Again, not perfect people. Just like the women on the women's side, right? They're not the ideal, they're not the perfect characters that we should emulate or follow. We might take some traits or some things from them, but they're not the ones that we would want to, to say, oh, this is who we want to be, right? Nobody wants to be probably Naomi in many ways, although we like that blessing. Ruth is faithful, but again, she left her country and kind of took a lot of risks. That's probably not who we'd want to be. Again, you can go through the Bible over and over again. Same thing with the men, right? King David, as great as King David was, he really wasn't the best of fathers. His kids didn't turn out so well, and he obviously had the affair with Bathsheba as well. Solomon comes from that line. Again, unlikely characters, but that's who God uses. And so this morning, I just want to encourage you and give you that hope that God can use each of us. It's not our heritage. It's not where we're from. It's not our background. Maybe not, it's not even the things that we've done in the past, but who we are right now in Christ that God wants to use. There's a lot of hope in that. Everything like that. God doesn't have to use us, but he chooses to use us. And he wants to use each and every one of us. And so that's my prayer this week for you, that you see that and that you take advantage of that opportunity that God's going to give you this week. Bow with me, please. Gracious Heavenly Father, we're thankful for the Bible and for what how it just continually shows you and how you use people. And Lord, our prayer this morning is that we realize that there's nothing we've done, nor where we've come from, that you can't redeem and that you want to use for your purpose and your glory. Lord, I thank you for the time of praise and prayer this morning, Lord. I thank you for each person that's here today. And I, Lord, I just pray a special blessing upon each and every one of us, Lord, as we want to be used by you. Thank you so much for this time and your many blessings. In Jesus' name, amen.